When I look at Porsche joining, what I see is a very premium brand, a brand with an experience in motorsport, a track record in motorsport with racing in their DNA. The DNA of the company is, is, is all about racing and all about success and having really high standards. What fans want to see is, in simple terms, the best drivers, the best teams. And clearly Porsche goes a long way to helping us in that regard. This is Inside E, the Porsche Formula E podcast. Hello, everyone. A warm welcome to our latest podcast. And I'm very excited about today's guest because I'm delighted to be joined by the CEO of Formula E, Jamie Regal. Jamie, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Inside E. Hi, Sam. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks very much for hosting me. And uh, hello to everyone from Porsche. It's great, uh, great honor to be invited on Inside E. Well, Jamie, I gather that sport has been an integral part of your working life. Um, you grew the Manchester United brand in new territories, uh, most recently driving business operations with the Los Angeles Rams in the NFL and now leading Formula E as CEO. So I'm intrigued to know where does your passion for sport come from? Well, I grew up in uh, Montreal in, in Canada, and where I grew up, if, if you were uh, not very good at ice hockey, you ski raced. And so I grew up as actually a, a ski racer, and, and that was my sport growing up. And so sport has always been a big, big part of my life. And I think also ski racing as a Canadian uh, was a sport that had a lot of exposure to uh, Europe in particular in terms of the athletes. Uh, so, so a lot of exposure into uh, European countries, particularly obviously the ones with uh, big mountains. And as a result, I, I had sort of these twin passions, if you will, of having uh, a career in sport, but then also a career uh, with an international perspective. And so that, I guess, triggered it when I went from a young age. Uh, that being said, I had more of a traditional start to my career. Uh, the pieces that you didn't mention is I started uh, very prosaically as, a, as an investment banker and working in private equity. So I was actually someone who had more finance experience and, and through that path ended up at Manchester United. So that was my my route in, uh, if you will, into the sports world. And I've been very fortunate then for the last 15 years to spend my uh, career at, at the intersection of uh, two of my passions, sport and, and business. Well, it's been a fantastic career already so far. So how has your journey in Formula E been so far, would you say? Well, it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, Formula E is such a special championship and a special property. You know, it has this, this core purpose to address the effects of climate change through electric vehicles. And on the other hand, we're using the power of sport to inspire consumers to take action. And so it really is a, a unique proposition. And so for me, the ability to, to combine, uh, you know, the experiences I've had before in other professional sports and then bring that to bear in a new environment was was really compelling. Um, and then my experiences over the, you know, the first 10 months, I would, I would probably split into two phases, right? So we had the first five or six months, which were very much getting up to speed on the business and meeting all of our, our teams and our commercial partners and, you know, many of our fans and our cities. Uh, and then obviously uh, the situation we've all been dealing with for the last four or five months in terms of the, the COVID 
crisis and what that's meant for our business has led to uh, a deeper level of, of, uh, of reflection and introspection and, and evolving the business as well. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's been a great journey and very energized for, uh, for the future. Based on your extensive experience with a whole, shall we say, variety of roles and indeed sports, what would you say are the similarities and differences in Formula E compared to other sports you've worked in? I guess once you've got a business model, you can apply it to all sports, right? There are many similarities. I mean, if you if you think about sport as competition amongst um, you know, some of the best athletes or, or in our case, drivers in the world um, producing at their best with a team behind them. You know, that really is the essence of sport and competition. And then, as you say, the business models that stem from that, meaning how do you uh, create uh, revenue out of that? It's all about the fans and how uh, they engage with, with the product. And the revenue model then comes from, you know, direct revenue through fans, ticketing, hospitality, through sponsors, uh, through distribution on television and other forms of media. So there's a lot of similarities and pattern recognition that you can take from European football or American football and apply that into a new environment. That being said, motorsport is very different in, in a couple of fundamental ways. Um, you know, I think most importantly, motorsport has always had some link one way or the other to the automotive industry and, and the end consumer. There is a, there is a product. I mean, one of the the examples I use uh, when a Tom Brady, who's the quarterback for the New England Patriots, made his move to Tampa this year, they said, "Well, tell me why you're moving to Tampa." And he says, "To win football games, which is the point of football." And and really, that's it. <laughs> right? Football exists as a sport. Um, Motorsport, of course, uh, exists as a as a sport as well, right? As I touched on before. But there is this linkage with the automotive industry that makes it different. And so, you know, that is a distinction. And then the second thing I would say is. You know, when you come into a new sport, there's different stakeholders, um, different partners, different uh, characteristics of the fan bases, and you know you need to be respectful of that, right? And so, you try to bring the experience you have from before, but also uh, show enough humility to to learn. And and certainly, what I've found in in the first ten months is, you know, Formula E is a fantastic environment, uh, and motorsport is is uh, I think specifically around electric motorsport. You know, we're we're building something from scratch. And so there's a lot of alignment amongst the stakeholders, which is really uh, refreshing. But there are, of course, you know, different uh, governing bodies and different uh, political relationships and, you know, the relations between the teams and the manufacturers and the partners. It's, there's a level of complexity that comes in motorsport that's maybe uh, not there in a lot of other sports. Jamie, you mentioned it briefly in our in our chat earlier, um, but obviously the last couple of months have been extremely challenging um, with the pandemic. Um, so, how have you and the team coped? I mean, it must have been a roller coaster of decision making. Absolutely, no one had in their business plan uh, the fact that we'd be facing a complete cessation of not just our product, our, our racing events, but all human activity, travel, et cetera. And so that's forced a complete rethink. And the nice thing with Formula E, as I said earlier, is the level of alignment and cooperation between the teams, ourselves, the governing body, the FIA, our partners is, is very high. And so, you know, once you get over the initial uh, shock, if you will, then, you know, we focus on the product and how do we, in the near term, continue to engage our fans. In the medium term, 
how do we make sure we're being very respectful of the fact that you know a lot of our end customers and partners for example obviously the automotive manufacturers are facing very big uh, challenges in their end markets how do we evolve the product how do we be respectful of the fact that there's some you know very significant financial challenges and then try to have long-term vision around uh, the opportunities that may come from you know this period and uh, you know sometimes uh, no doubt that we we face some very dark moments and some difficult conversations but I think big picture, you know, we believe Formula E is actually very well positioned in the medium term. We've been able to make some adjustments that we think will set ourselves up for success in the in the medium term. Well, I really want to talk to you about the ABB Formula E Race at Home Challenge, because, of course, over the last couple of months, Formula E went from, in essence, real to virtual racing. So I'm intrigued to know, how did the idea of the Race at Home Challenge come up in the first place? Well, it's it's interesting. The, in, I'm trying to remember that it was mid-March and uh, a number of our events had been postponed at the time. And what we saw was a lot of motorsports were starting virtual races. And most of those um, were very quick to launch and, and we didn't have a product that was ready. And so what we said internally with uh, our staff, but then also with our teams and our drivers, we said, we have to create a product that sets itself apart from the other offerings that are already out there, right? And what you were seeing a lot of was uh, races between a handful of drivers and celebrities or athletes from other sports, and, and those had a lot of merit. What we said is, how can we make this all about Formula E? How can it be true to Formula E? Can it be Formula E tracks? Can it be all of uh, the Formula E ecosystem, meaning all of the Formula E teams, all of the actual Formula E drivers. And that was really the underlying premise and that would we believe would differentiate us. And that was designed because we wanted to be true to the core product and to our, what we call our ecosystem, right? So that's our fans and our teams, drivers and our commercial partners. So it was a, if you will, a real representation in, in a virtual context. Then we said, okay, how can we use this as an opportunity to test and learn on some new initiatives and how can we expose ourselves perhaps to you know a younger audience even than our than our current one how do we expose ourselves to a gaming audience and we came up with the idea of the race at home challenge which would basically have two tracks in in simple terms one of formula e drivers uh, and formula e teams and then number two we called the challenge grid which was basically um, a mix of professional drivers but also professional game players um, celebrities and then we also brought in um, a number of people who represented underrepresented groups who wouldn't normally have exposure to to motorsport. And the idea was to try to fuse those into a, a, a two hour broadcast uh, on everything from Twitch to our more traditional media partners. And so and we believe that we created a, a fairly unique platform that lasted for eight weeks. And again, you had that appointment viewing that comes with sports. So you knew the fans knew, OK, it's, it's every Saturday at uh, 2 p.m. European time. And so we had that cadence going that you would have in normal sport. And we really built towards um, a big a big finale with a double header. And uh, ultimately on the challenge grid, uh, you know, the, the individual who won that uh, has won a, a real world test drive in a Formula E car. So we tried to, again, provide a link between, if you will, the gaming world and the real Formula E product. And then finally, and I know this is turning into a very long answer, we tried to do Not so in a way all. that was sense, we were trying to do so in a way that was sensitive to the environment we were in. And, and by that, I mean, you know, we looked at, hey, how, how can we use the activity we're going to undertake around esports 
uh, for the greater good. And at the time, you know, we thought long and hard about Formula E is, is really about um, electric vehicle adoption and climate change. And if you extend that, it means we're all about future generations, right? Improving the planet for future generations. And so we partnered with UNICEF, who at the time were raising money to draw attention to the challenges that that young people, that youth around the world were facing with respect to COVID. And at that time, you know, the focus was predominantly around, you know, rightly the health uh, and, and folks who were contracting the disease. Um, in, in our case, we really wanted to focus on, you know, the impacts around education, uh, frankly, having parents not being able to work and what does that mean for children? And so we helped UNICEF raise money and made our program all about promoting their activities to, to fight the coronavirus. A fantastic charity. Um, and as you said, the synergy, I mean, it was pretty overwhelming, really, how successful uh, the challenge was. I mean, do you see esports as a pillar that Formula E will perhaps take into account in the future of the sport moving forward? Absolutely. And Formula E has always been about uh, the integration, if you will, of the real world and the gaming or the virtual world. And so if you look at our product, you know, within the race, we have something called attack mode, where if the drivers go over sensors that are off the racing line, they they can access incremental power, which is a pretty cool feature, right? You can over the air effectively grant extra access to incremental power to the drivers in real time. And then we also have fan boost, which allows the fans to uh, provide an incremental uh, set of power to to one of the drivers based on the number of votes that that driver gets. So we've always had that interplay between uh, the digital and, and the real. Um, on the eSports side, we didn't have, um, if you will, a uh, pre-prepared product. And so this uh, crisis actually focused our minds and allowed us to launch Race at Home. And the feedback we've had is overwhelmingly positive. I mean, what you saw, generally speaking, is the drivers who were fast tended to be a little bit younger, right, who probably grew up gaming. Um, but the feedback we've had from all of the teams, uh, including the drivers, including some who perhaps were a little bit skeptical at the outset, they said, hey, are we doing this again as a second season? You know, can this continue? And, and I think there's a great opportunity for us to uh, add this to uh, the portfolio for Formula E as a way to uh, drive greater engagement with our with our fans. So um, I, I think we'll definitely look at continuing it either in, in the same format or perhaps, you know, in an evolved form. And we'll work with the teams on on what that looks like. I think it's a case of watch this space. Right. I want to talk to you now about Porsche specifically and indeed uh, the team's involvement in Formula E. I mean, how would you rate Porsche's debut season in Formula E so far? I would say I am probably not the best person to be able to rate the performance of any team uh, since I'm relatively new to uh, motorsport. That being said, when I look at the stats, uh, Andre was on a podium in Saudi Arabia and had a pole in Mexico. So uh, that, that looks like a pretty good start to me. I think more, more importantly, from the championships perspective, when I look at Porsche joining, what I see is, you know, a very premium brand, a brand with an experience in motorsport, a track record in motorsport with racing in their DNA, coming to our championship and providing an enormous amount of validation and also raising the standards. I mean, I remember when I was in Mexico and and uh, uh, Porsche were launching. Uh, the Taycan in Mexico, and there was an event, and there were a number of uh, senior Porsche executives who 
made very clear to the Porsche Formula E team their expectations to win. And I love that, right? Because the DNA of the company is, is, is all about racing and all about success and having really high standards. And that's fantastic for us as a championship because what it does is it raises the bar, raises the standards for everyone. And, you know, I'm a big believer that Formula E as the championship, we need to promote the strongest possible competition. And of course, having, having Porsche in the, uh, in the paddock is super beneficial to us in that regard. Yeah, without question, such an iconic sporting brand with such a pedigree of motorsport history, as you say, it, it just helps, doesn't it, to, to raise the bar and raise the profile of this series, which never fails to amaze me because it's growing in stature and popularity all the time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think when you what I love about the Porsche experience, and I'll, I'll give a quick anecdote. I was invited very kindly by the team to the Night of Champions last December, and, and my wife and I came down to Weissach to the event. And you could really feel uh, in the air in that building, you know, the ethos of the Porsche brand, um, you know, as a as an automotive mark, but also as a as a racing, as a motorsport uh, brand. And you know, when I saw that, and I saw all the different championships and the heritage and the history, as well as, you know, the innovation you see with Joshua Rogers on the esports side, uh, always pushing forward from an innovative perspective, um, you know, to be able to experience that, that that was before really our season had started. And that gave me a sense of, okay, having Porsche in the championship is going to push us forward. And, you know, as I look at our ambitions to grow the championship, we need to engage new fans, we need to uh, build a more uh, diverse audience, we need to grow in new markets having brands like Porsche involved help us do that, right? It doesn't, you know, our, our job, our challenge is still significant as a relatively new sport, um, as, a, as a nascent property. Um, but of course, you know, what fans want to see is, is in simple terms, the best drivers, the best teams. And clearly Porsche, you know, goes a long way to helping us in that regard. Now, Jamie, we're all incredibly relieved and delighted that the season is set to resume uh, it'll be a season finale of course in berlin three double headers in nine days on three different layouts i don't tire of saying that line because <laughs> i think it's probably the most compact the most intense motorsport finale in history so i'm really intrigued to know who created this concept? <laughs> I think you just outlined a very articulate way, in a very articulate way, um, the marketing position for the races, right? It, as you say, <laughs> nine, you. nine days, nine days, six races, three tracks, and one champion. I mean, that is the tagline that we were leading with. And look, I, as I said before, you know, no one had in their plans that we would have uh, be managing through the COVID situation. No one would have anticipated that we would say to our board or to our teams that, hey, we think it's a really good idea to go do six races over the space of nine days. I suspect if we had brought that as a business idea to our teams in normal times, you know, that would have probably received short shrift. What is fantastic, <laughs> and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the silver lining of a very difficult backdrop, but what is fantastic about this is it's allowing us, in the same way that Race at Home allowed us to experiment in esports, this is allowing us to experiment and, and project the product, project Formula E's racing product in a new fashion, in a new way, um, 
to our fans. Now we'll talk about the fact that fans won't be there, but from a media perspective, uh, from a sporting perspective, the intensity that that will mean for our teams, for our drivers to have that many races in such a short period of time, I think it's really going to be an incredible test of uh, both the, the technical side for the teams and then, of course, the uh, the drivers themselves in terms of their uh, their ability to focus and perform day in, day out over, over nine days. I mean, from the perspective of the Targoya Porsche Formula E team, obviously the team is absolutely delighted about the six races because there's a general consensus. It feels like they're at home. It's like home races. So I'd love to know why was it decided that the season finale would take place specifically in Berlin? During the spring, we we had... Um probably dozens of various scenarios around how we could complete our season. And we were relatively fortunate in the sense that we had already had five races, right? Many championships and certainly other sporting properties hadn't even started their seasons. And so, you know, we had completed five races. And so what that told us is, look, how do we um, complete the season? Meaning how do we get to a position where we can crown a champion credibly and that we can say, hey, there's the, the Formula E champion for the for the year. And we looked at the number of races, we looked at the number of venues, and ultimately, you know, the conditions under which we need to race. And safety and health need to be very much at the top of our priorities. And the German market generally with the Bundesliga was very quick to bring back sport and showed the way for the rest of the world in terms of how that could be done in a, in a way that was safe. Um, and then the second thing was we said, ideally, we'd like to make sure that Formula E races at a Formula E venue uh, because we wanted to stay true to you know, our, our DNA of racing in cities, racing in urban tracks. And Berlin has been a, a, a venue for Formula E since season one. And so this will be actually the only venue uh, where we've raced or the only city where we've raced all six seasons. And so those two things in simple terms, the commitment to have a Formula E event in a Formula E venue and uh, the evidence that we had from a health and safety perspective that we could put on great events in, in Germany uh, and specifically in Berlin, uh, that led to that decision. And, you know, it works, I think, for, of course, for, for Porsche as, as, if you will, a home home race. And for the rest of the teams, it's, it's you know, they were they were delighted that it's in uh, in continental Europe. You know, we as a world have faced such extenuating circumstances over the last couple of months. And and obviously it's all credit to you and the team for creating this season finale. But I guess, I mean, there's been no kind of, shall I say, platform or workbook to address. I mean, you've got new challenges, I guess, that you're facing as a team to put the show on the road, so to speak. Absolutely. As, as, you, as you just said, there was no uh, <laughs> no manual we could consult on how to complete a season under a you know, global health pandemic, um, nor how to put on six races in the space of nine days, which we believe, you know, in, in, in motorsport hasn't happened, at least as a as a culmination to the season as we're trying to uh, to pull off. And so, you know, the challenge was was very high. You know, that being said, you know, the nice thing about operating in this environment is you know, everyone is very collaborative. So we worked actually very closely with uh, the folks from the Bundesliga who gave us guidance in terms of how that would work. We partnered with uh, some of the, the German health authorities who had provided the approvals for the Bundesliga to make sure we would be able to um, align with those same 
requirements. Uh, we've worked very closely with the FIA uh, to look at what other motorsport championships are doing. Obviously, Formula One are now back racing as well. And so there's an understanding of what that takes. And we're able to learn from and borrow from some of their experiences. Uh, if you're looking you know, even broader, the NBA in the United States are going to be operating similar to us in the sense that they're going to Orlando and will be operating in a bubble. So, you know, the good news in this environment um, is, you know, humans are, are keen to help each other out and try to solve problems together. And so we're, uh, we're fortunate in that regard. And then the teams have been incredibly supportive as well, as I touched on earlier. Now, as you mentioned, obviously, there will be no fans present. So I guess it's even more fundamental to engage with them. How are you going to go about that? That is a serious challenge, I can't deny. I mean, it's, it's, it's very disappointing that we won't be able to host uh, any fans in Berlin. I know from, from my team and from, from our teams and, and the drivers, they've always enjoyed the, the passion of the uh, German fan base in Berlin. So that's a real disappointment. That being said, of course, you know, we're, in, we're in very unusual times and, and you know, we just need to, to paddle through this environment as best we can. So then the question is, how do we innovate? How do we make it compelling? for fans. And I think you, you announced yesterday, uh, we'll be doing uh, three different track configurations. So it's not just six races uh, over the nine days on the same track. We actually have three different track configurations. So that'll mix things up from a sporting perspective. And then hopefully also that drives fan engagement. I think we'll be leaning very heavily into uh, digital engagement as a substitute for uh, traditional you know, face-to-face. -face. So we're looking at um, for example, digital uh, or virtual hospitality opportunities so that, you know, fans can come in and, and get a closer look, although admittedly through, uh, through their mobile device or through a computer. And then uh, one of the things that we're looking at doing as well is uh, a drive-in concept in Berlin. We'll be inviting uh, some of our partners and teams and fans where we can have in a safe, socially distanced way, uh, some exposure, which... Uh, will be a drive-in concept to be able to watch the races. And so you can bring your car and, and park. And uh, we're going to strongly encourage everyone to bring their electric vehicles to, uh, to that event. One thing's for sure. I mean, from a narrative point of view, the stage is set for such a thrilling season finale. It's going to be intense, but wow. I mean, it should be thrilling, really exciting. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think from a sporting spectacle perspective, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And my conversations with the teams and the drivers, everyone is, you know, first and first, first and foremost, very excited to be getting back behind the wheel, getting back to racing. And then, you know, the, the pressure and the intensity of the format that we've created, um, most of, don't hold me to this, but I believe most of our, all the drivers technically could win the championship, depending on how the racing results go. And so, you know, it's all to play for. And I think that that's really what fans love to see is, you know, Formula E traditionally has different winners. Um, each race, uh, the level of competition, the level of parity and the, the grid is very, uh, is very fair. And so, you know, I think you'll see some great racing and, you know, by uh, August 13th, we'll be able to crown a team and an individual champion, which will be a lot of fun. Oh, I can't wait. Should be brilliant. Um, Jamie, I want to talk to you about the sport that we all love. I know you've been in the role, albeit a short time, but motorsport has changed so considerably 
during recent years within a very short time frame, especially when Formula E was, of course, born in essence in 2014. I mean, how do you see the shift from traditional combustion engine to electric motorsport? Both forms of motorsport can exist. I mean, the, the motorsport uh, industry, as we touched on before, has always been distinct from other sports in the sense that there's been a linkage to the automotive industry in some shape or form, whether that's through manufacturers, whether it's suppliers who are bringing in innovations from a technical perspective that are getting put to, to the test in very extreme environments. So, you know, Formula E is another manifestation of that. The way, what I often say is, you know, the, the genius, if you will, of our founder, Alejandro, was to recognize in, you know, 2013, 2014, that there was an opportunity with respect to uh, the acceleration of electric vehicles and combining that with the passion that comes from motorsport. And can you bring those two together in what we call the, if you will, the racing product and then the reason, so the, if you will, the higher purpose, can you bring those things together? And so we believe we're just a continuation of a very long history in motorsport of, of innovation and, and progress. And, you know, the beauty of motorsport is it's the, the pinnacle of, of human endeavor in the sense that you have these these fantastic athletes, these pilots who are the best at what they do. And then uh, behind the scenes, if you will, the engineering and the science that goes into developing the cars and you're bringing those two uh, together and uh, seeing who comes out on top. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty cool uh, integration. Does it surprise you though, how successful Formula E has become when we look at the context of, of how short a period of time it's been going for as a series. There was obviously a market, right? That's right. I mean, I would say, is it surprising? No, in the sense that the shift in consumer perceptions around climate change, the awareness around those core issues that we exist to address and how electric vehicles can be a uh, a partial solution to those challenges, you know, those are increasing, right? And I think you've seen that even more uh, in the last three months accelerating. Uh, and we can maybe talk about that a little bit just in terms of the heightened consciousness people have uh, following the last three months of, uh, of lockdown. So the, the conditions were there for a new sport to come in and to focus in this area. And, and it's a very focused product. Um, on the other hand, it is astounding what has been achieved by Alejandro and the founding team at Formula E because I know how hard it is working for sporting entities that have been around for over a hundred years <laughs> to continue to grow their businesses and to, you know with the brand recognition that they have. So to be able to start in 2014 and in the space of five or six years to create a championship that's racing in 14 cities that's attracting some of the biggest automotive manufacturers, some of the most premium auto marks like Porsche into the championship that's attracting drivers who have won big championships, big races uh, in other forms of motorsport and attracting all the, the fan bases in the cities that we go to. When you look at that and you say, wow, that's, that's achieved in the space of five years, that's remarkable. I mean, when I was in Mexico City uh, in February for our race, we had 45,000 people at the track, um, an incredibly passionate fan base. And you look at that and you think, it's hard to believe that this race series didn't exist five years ago. And I think that's a, 
a tribute to you know not just the Formula E team who, who have created, but but all of the the race teams uh, who've contributed and uh, and and brought all of their uh, their passion and excitement into the product. I mean, all industries currently are facing challenges, but because of what's happening currently around the world, will that affect Formula E's mid and long-term strategy? I think you can look at the last three months, depends on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, right? I would say in late March, early April, clearly the challenges facing our business were significant in the sense that we're a live event business. We rely on bringing a large group of human beings together, um, which is obviously particularly challenged uh, in the current climate. And then we are uh, integral to the automotive industry, which obviously has faced significant challenges in the last few months. And so I think when you look through a short-term prism, you know, the challenges are very significant. When you look in the long term and you say, okay, well, what's happening in the world as a result of COVID? Well, many people are at home and what they're experiencing is much cleaner air in their cities. Um, there's strong evidence if it was needed, further evidence of the link between human activity and, and emissions and pollution. You've seen a lot of empirical evidence about how much that dropped when everyone was at home. And though that's not practical for humanity to stay home in the long term, what it does show is there is a very clear link. And I think people appreciate uh, that in a much greater way. And so from a consumer perspective, I think the pull towards electric vehicles, which is which is a big driver of our long-term success, I think is 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 reinforced and, and strengthened. I think you've also seen a lot of government support uh, for the electric vehicle industry, you know, specifically in Germany, but, but also France and the UK with subsidies. So all of those things will help. And so what we've tried to do over the last three months is work really closely with our teams and our manufacturers to say, okay, how do we make sure that Formula E is sustainable uh, from, a, from a sporting perspective um, and also from a, from a financial perspective? And so, you know, near-term challenges, I can't sugarcoat. Those are, those are very real. But in the medium term, we actually feel that our, our position is, is more reinforced as, as the automotive industry uh, accelerates this, this shift towards uh, electric uh, mobility. Oh, that's brilliant news. Um, Jamie, I'd love to just um, get a bit of an insight into the hashtag positively charged campaign. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. Wow. You, you already noticed that. That's, that, that, that's fresh. Um, it's very new. So, you know, one of the things that, that we have spent time on as a team in, in the last couple of months is trying to identify, you know, what we stand for as uh, a company, as a championship. And you know, in my mind, there's a very clear core purpose, which is accelerating electric vehicle vehicle adoption. But then the question is, how do we express that internally? How do we how do we make sure all of our staff really buy into that mission? And then how do we express that externally, either to, directly to our fans on our social media channels or, or or in other formats? And then how do we have something that our teams and our commercial partners can rally around? And so, you know, we spent a, a lot of time thinking about, okay, this, this, how do we capture the essence uh, and the ethos of Formula E? And we, we came up with this concept of positively charged, which obviously has uh, an electric uh, connotation. And if you, if you deconstruct the two words, right, it's, it's positive, it's, 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 it's uh, keen to, to be uh, an agent for change, 
a positive uh, impact on society. And charged has this this inherent energy in it, right? So we're we're motivated to catalyze change. And so we just think that that kind of captures the ethos and the spirit that Alejandro had when he started Formula E. And then how do we continue to uh, to embrace that as we go forward? And you know, obviously, in the last few months, the the world has faced big challenges with with COVID. There's also been a heightened awareness around things like climate change we talked about. There's been a heightened awareness around uh, racial discrimination and, and other societal issues. And so for us, it was really important to reinforce what we stood for. And, and that's why we launched Positively Charged with the open letter on Monday. Excellent news. I mean, it's just ever evolving and moving forward. And it's just lovely to speak to you and just get the positive vibes, you know, where, you know, it's been a tough time for everybody. Uh, around the world, but already I see your vision moving forward. It looks like the vision is bright for Formula E. Absolutely, no, we're we, uh, we're we're strong optimists, and you know I think the 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 companies that can change the world have a very core, clear purpose, right? And our purpose is very clear. We're not trying to be all things to everybody. We're really trying to be. Uh, an agent of change around electric mobility through motorsport, right? And so our product is, is actually uh, quite simple in, in terms of the mission. And the reality is very few people drive electric vehicles today um, in terms of market share. And so we believe that we've got a, a big opportunity to go after and there's a lot of runway to be able to uh, instigate that change. And look, the world is is kind of a very challenged place at the moment. There's there's no way to uh, diminish that, but I think in the long term, you know, human ingenuity uh, and the positive sort of energy will uh, will prevail. And so, you know, we're delighted that we can get back racing in Berlin in a couple of weeks' time, and then build from there uh, going into next season. Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you today. I wish you and the team all the very best for Berlin. I cannot wait. I think it's going to be so exciting to decide who will be crowned the winner of this year's season. I know how busy you are, but it really has been lovely to catch up. So thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Oh, thank you very much, Sam. It's my honour and um, appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. So all the best and hope to see you at a race soon. If you'd like more information, follow Porsche Formula E on Twitter and Instagram or visit the Porsche Newsroom. See you next time. Inside E, Porsche Formula E podcast. podcast.